Hi, I'm Kim Carson. And I'm Peter Klein. And this is We Had No Idea. Episode 13. Woo, lucky number 13. We come to you from Okinsis, and we acknowledge that we get the privilege of living and producing this show on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Tsutsina, the Iahe Nakota Nations, the Métis Nation Region 3, and all people who make their homes on the Treaty 7 region of southern Alberta. Our sources for today, history.com, pbs.org, statueofliberty.org, which bag. is uh, where I got my stuff for the Great Wall of China. Uh, and my sources for today are towerofpisa.org, uh, Google Reviews and Maps, my favorite website botswana.co.za nationalgeographic.com whcunesco.org guide to the philippines.ph and theculturetrip.com i like how you said za za so yeah a little bit different this week uh Mm -hmm. with us going with the uh we just picked landmarks and gonna run through a a bunch of those today so a bit more rapid fire i think than what we're used to we're gonna cover a a lot of ground figuratively and literally uh, i think today (laughs) um you know which ones i'm doing I can gather from your sources some of the ones that you are doing, but yeah. uh, aside from that, we don't know a whole lot about what each other are doing today. So I'm yeah, we to did totally separate research today, yeah, or for this show, uh, which is kind of fun. Like, yeah, I can see we have a list of like, like I have the landmarks that I'm doing. Right. Oh, I listed mine at the top. You did not. <laughs> <laughs> I spoiled the surprise. You did not. No. Um, Before we get going here, I do want to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much for downloading, uh, subscribing, rating, reviewing. It all uh, matters and it all feels really good. Mm -hmm. So thank you. If you want to send us a DM, we are on Instagram at We Had No Idea Podcast. You can also send us an email, We Had No Idea Podcast at gmail.com. You can say hi. You can tell us you don't like us. But if you're listening, you probably like us. <laughs> uh, you can also leave a uh, leave a request for different episodes that you'd like to maybe hear in the yeah, a topic or a suggestion or something. And um, yeah, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. You can tell a friend. You can tell twenty friends. You can call your mom. Tell her about it. So why don't you go first today? Okay. Yes. Uh, the first one I'm going to go with. I, I don't know what strategy you use or strategy. Or, strategy. Um, I don't know c- kind of how you decided which ones to go with. I uh-huh. just basically went off of the general premise of our show in that I know these things exist, but I don't know a whole lot about them. And to be perfectly honest, a couple of them were just kind of a, oh, okay. But there's still some fun that could be had with these anyway. So okay. I, I will start with the Washington Monument. Heard of um, it. The monument itself It is large, uh, completed on (laughs) December 6th, 1884. There is a nine-inch aluminum pyramid on top of Tower of White Marble, although how they got there took a a bit of a a more winding road than I was anticipating. As early as 1783, U.S. Congress decided that a statue of George Washington, the Revolutionary War General, should be placed near the site of the new congressional building, wherever that site may be. So this is pre White House. Um, after then, oh. President Washington asked him to lay out a new federal capital on the Potomac River in 1791. Architect Pierre L'Enfant left a place. L'Enfant. Nice. <laughs> um, left a place for the statue at the western end of a sweeping national mall, actually near where the monument would be today. The 
Continental Congress approved the statue designed by L'Enfant, showing George Washington as an army commander riding a horse and wearing a laurel wreath. What um, is a laurel wreath? Like those wreaths that you see on... Oh, like very like Greco... Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, one of gotcha. those. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, in 1791, this design for Washington City placed the statue in direct line with the president's house and houses of Congress. Hmm. Um, they... Not a lot of people liked it, though. So oh. they kept kind of moving it around from different place to different place. Um, that that's, uh, Eventually, it just kind of gets taken down. Oh. In the 1790s, architect Benjamin Latrobe designed an Egyptian-style pyramid that would include large murals painted inside to honor Washington as the United States' <laughs> first president. It's like, is that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, that feels very... Uh cultural appropriation-y right. to me. Yeah. Like which, high key. Which was definitely the jam in the 1700s. Yeah. Uh, planning for a monument began during Washington's lifetime and was part of the original plan for the new capital city. Latrobe's design was set aside because there was not enough money to pay for monument construction. So uh, if we are keeping track, we are now 0 for 2 on monuments for George Washington. For all Jorge. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't until 1832, 33 years after Washington's death, that anyone did anything further on, on, on the monument. That year, a private Washington National Monument Society was formed Ooh. with no monument in place by the 100th anniversary of Washington's birth, <laughs> which was 1832. Congress commissioned a statue of the first president sculpted by Horatio Greenaw who I definitely pronounced that last part wrong. Um, he built enthroned Washington, representing a bare-chested Washington seated in a toga, looking more like a god than a former president. Hot. Soon after it was installed in the Capitol in 1841, the statue became extremely unpopular and was moved to the East Lawn two years later. In 1908, Congress moved the statue to the Smithsonian's National Museum. So again, 0 for 3. We are 0 for 3 on the, this grand plan to build something for George Washington. This, um, would be, this would be 0 for 4, wouldn't it? Because it was installed in the Capitol. Right. And then it was moved to the East mm -hmm. Lawn. And now, 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 it's in the National Museum. Yeah. Ooh. Traveler, um, so then, George Washington. After holding a design competition and choosing an elaborate Greek temple-like design by architect Robert Mills, the society began a fundraising drive to raise money for the statue's construction. Those efforts raised $230,000. Well short of the $1 million needed. <laughs> But construction began anyway. Why not? July 4th, uh, 1848, as representatives of the society laid the cornerstone of the monument, a 24,500-pound block of pure white marble. Hmm. Construction stopped eight years later <laughs> when an anti-Catholic political wing objected to Pope Pew IX donating a stone. Congress pulled all support of the project until after the Civil War, around the Civil War time... Um, when all that began in 1861, author Mark Twain described the unfinished monument as looking like a hollow, oversized chimney. Fantastic. Um, they do eventually, after, just again to recap, um, an Egyptian-type pyramid, yeah. a gigantic 
uh, like Roman scene, some type like a of god-like a godlike scene, some type of a Greek god thing. Yeah, we have now uh, ended up with a giant marble stick in the air <laughs> with a pyramid on top of it. It is made of thirty-six thousand blocks of marble and granite, stacked five hundred and fifty-five feet in the air. The monument was the tallest structure in the world at the time of its completion. A city law passed in nineteen ten restricted the height of new buildings to ensure that the monument will remain the tallest structure in Washington, D.C. Huh. Which, number of phallic jokes one could make about that, but nonetheless, I did not realize how many twists and turns. Because whenever you see something that is, like, it's it's huge, and that's cool, but from a design standpoint, it's rather underwhelming. Like I said, it's just a marble right, stick it's a in pointy the air. stick. And it's like a lot of times there's, oh, well, this represents this, and this represents this. And they they really, really tried, and then it seemed like at the end, it was just like, fuck it, just put a, a thing in the air. Like, who cares? Well, I had no idea. Yeah. I can honestly say that. <laughs> I have given probably a 0% of my brain capacity to uh, thinking about the Washington Monument and how it came to be, so thank you. You're welcome. I would love to start today. Uh, my sources gave this one away. It was the only one that was given away, and that is uh, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Pisa? Not pizza. Which I feel like when I was a kid and when I was growing up, I, I think that maybe somebody thought that the Leaning Tower of Pisa was really cool or something, and then it was in a cartoon, and it was the Leaning Tower of Pizza, and I feel like... It was a much bigger deal when I was a kid, and I was always like, I'm going to go there. It's so cool. Yeah. But it sounds fun. Like you said, like totally. it sounds like pizza. And it, it sounds like, like pizza. Kids like this pizza. Cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, the Leaning of Tower, the Leaning Tower of Pisa is in Italy, of course. Uh, if you're looking at a map of Italy, and you know how Italy looks like a boot, mm -hmm. it would be like, well, it's like a thigh high boot. It's a very long boot. Right. So, I would say that the tower is located at like the upper thigh of the country. Okay give you some <laughs> some context <laughs> uh, so architects began work on the tower in 1173 made up year and it took just under 200 years to complete because it kept being interrupted by the city going in debt wars and builders trying to figure out how to stop the tower from leaning um, it actually turns out that it's because of all the pauses and it taking 200 years for its completion that the tower is even standing today so what happened was they began building it got to the third floor and it started to sink and shift on one side because the ground underneath was made of clay and sand. <laughs> Good. The tower stands at eight stories tall today. So floors four through eight were built taller on the shorter side in hopes to make the lean less noticeable. <laughs> like, because why not just stop at three floors and call it a day? Right. Uh, but building longer sides on the sinking side of the tower just added more weight and negated the extra height. <laughs> Physics not really taught in the no. 1100s, eh? Kind of a trial trial and error process. I just, I love the idea of, well, this giant thing we're building <laughs> is sinking into the ground. Well, for sure we keep building on top Let's of it. Let's fucking keep building it. Yeah. Uh, the pauses in construction did allow the ground to condense under the weight of the tower. Um, kind of the difference if you like lifted a pound above your head every day for a week and then you started lifting two pounds and then three pounds and then four pounds instead of just being like, I'm going to pick up 500 pounds. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, so the tower was completed in the mid 1300s and is actually a bell tower for an adjacent cathedral complex. The, okay, it is the town of Pisan or Pisa. So they're Pisans. <laughs> oh, the that's people. unfortunate. <laughs> like how they're Berlinians. Mm -hmm. But Pisans, 
Uh, they won a war and lots of treasure and shit. And to show off their winnings, they came up with this plan to build a cathedral, tower, baptisserie. And then I put in brackets like rotisserie. Is that how you would pronounce it? I, get, I don't know how else you A would. rotisserie for baptizing people. Anyways, okay. Imagine being like, we're good at war. Here's our riches. But uh-oh, who would who would have thought that the land beside an ocean and a canal would be too soft? That's what happened. My favorite part of this Leaning Tower of Pisa story um, is that there is no name credited to the architect. Hmm. So either the person who came up with it didn't want their name put on this project or the church slash city didn't and probably killed them for messing up. Right. Uh, The Leaning Tower of Pisa is not just leaning, but might just be falling at rates as slow as two millimeters per year. I think with like modern innovations, they've added like cement foundation and stuff. So I think that it has stopped very slowly falling. Good. Um, I couldn't find anything that confirmed that though. Oh. Uh, today it stands at five meters off center. And if you look up pictures of it, um, obviously you can see the lean, but because they had made kind of like, um, fun house floors on it, it, it almost looks like wavy. Oh, like the, the architecture looks way it's the whole thing is kind of an optical illusion because it's leaning, but then it's like kind of taller on some sides. Right. So yeah, very fun to look at. Uh, as a fun fact, it has 4.7 out of 5 on Google reviews. And my favorite one-star review said, makes me feel unsettled. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Leaning Tower of Pisa. Nice. That's a good one. That, <laughs> yeah, that's another one. Definitely fell into the category. I didn't know. I had no idea. It, so you totally thought, know of it because of yeah. the pizza stories. Right. But yeah, I had yeah, no, like, absolutely no idea. As a kid, it feels like it's one of like the, the giant wonders of the world. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's five meters mm. or yeah. whatever it was. It's like, more, it's, it's like, eight stories. Right, but, right, right. But, but still, yes, like, I see your point. You still, like some of these things here we're talking about are, are bigger than that. It's like, oh, it's just like a, a, a thing. And you, you would think there'd be like some grand, it was this beautiful building and then it yeah. was bombed and shifted, but stayed exactly. standing. Exactly. It's like, oh, yeah, the ground was soft, dude. <laughs> I know. I thought... Uh, I honestly, before I started research on it, I thought that it had like been a, a tower of refuge and people mm-hmm. were in it and, you know, there was a war and other armies and that's why it was like slanted because like a, a bomb or something hit it. But right. it just was soft ground. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Okay. All right. My next one. Uh, the, the title of this podcast is We Had No Idea. Mm-hmm. And on this particular one, apparently neither does anyone else. Ooh. I am doing the statues or the moai at Easter Island. Ooh, spooky. On average, they stand 13 feet high and weigh 14 tons. They are human heads on torsos carved from rough, hardened volcanic ash. The islanders call them moai, and they have puzzled visitors to the island since the first European explorers arrived in 1722. Unfortunately, there's no written record and very little oral history to tell the story of how any of this happened, and there are around 900 of them built. The Moai and ceremonial sites are along the coast, with a concentration of them on Easter Island's southeast coast, where they are more standardized in design. They are believed to have been carved, transported, and then put up between 1400 and 1600 AD. They stand with their backs to the sea and most uh, archaeologists believe they represent spirits of ancestors Mm. or chiefs in the history of Easter Island. But it it really, like, really, no one knows anything on these things. There there was someone um, 
has been studying this in the the PBS article that I wrote uh, that I read um, has been studying this for my entire life, and they basically came up with well they're this big. Wow, and sorry, this is off the coast of Chile, right? Yeah, it's very cool. Did you find anything about? And I sorry, I, I see you have more notes here, but did you find anything about? Wasn't it like there's like the bodies of them are are underneath them, or is it just the heads? Uh, it's heads on top of bodies. It is. Oh, there, there is bodies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very cool. And this is honestly, this is another one that I feel like was depicted in, um, you know, cartoons and things when I was growing up, because Mm -hmm. like you said, like I have this knowledge of Easter Island, but I could tell you nothing about it except for that there's heads. Um, it is just off. Well, not uh, to say just off of Chile would be a bit of a stretch. Right. It's fairly far away. I'm looking over at your map there. Yeah. I would not recommend swimming. Right. The nearest Mm -hmm. land mass is Chile. Right. Yes. Hmm. Very cool. Um, so yeah, the, the interesting thing about this, I mean, there's a number of them, A, because no one knows. Yeah. And we could get into why no one knows. And I'm sure that would be a sad tale, but it's just like this lady has been studying this for her entire life and, or for my entire life. I'm sure she didn't start at one, but (laughs) Um, like for her entire adult life and she's come up with like how big they are and where some of the ones that aren't fully built actually lay. And that was the interesting part for me is that there's a total of 887 statues that have been located by a a survey on Easter Island. 397 of them are still sitting in quarries in like a a production area. 288 statues were successfully uh, transported to a variety of Ahu locations and another 92 were recorded as just in transit some are just lying in various positions on roads or or something like that so less than one third of all carved moai actually made it to their final ceremonial site wow Mm -hmm. that's one i that like this whole thing i had no idea about and this is one i seem like i say this every week i definitely want to dig more into these because (laughs) There's, Your list is ever growing, right, boy. Yeah. Aside from like the Y2K, which I, I feel like I had a pretty good grasp on. Aside from yeah. the, everything else, I need to keep doing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, it's just that there's so little that I could find on any of these things, and they're just these giant statues carved out of volcanic ash. And yeah. Like, you, you just wonder how it all how it all came to be. Uh, unfortunately, um, cannot shed a whole lot of light on it on this one. So uh, not really the, the point of the podcast to be like, yeah, no one fucking knows. But no, <laughs> no one really knows on this one. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I see your 1400 CE. Okay. And I raise you, or lower you, depending on how you see time. Okay. Uh, to approximately 20,000 years old. Okay. <laughs> Uh, we are going to Botswana, Africa to talk about the Sodilo Hills. They were believed to be the site of first creation by the Bushmen who painted more than 3,500 rock paintings against these stone faces of the hills. Some of the paintings date back to around 800 to 1300 uh, CE and some even are hypothesized to be, like I said, 20,000 years old. Uh, it's been called the Louvre of the Desert and it is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Hmm. Um, so there's four hills in this, I, I think it's a national park. Um, there's a female hill where, and I should preface this saying, it's 
the hill is not a, a woman, but it's oh, thank in, you. in lore seen as Kay. this is what they are described as and how they are defined. Um, so there's a female hill where the Hambuku Shu legend says that the god Nyambe originally lowered their tribe and livestock. There's hoof marks in the stone on top of the female hill to support this idea, but it also could have been caused by erosion. It could be like an old dinosaur track. Um, but they are sacred hills, so there's actually, like, not a lot of excavation at this site because it's more about preservation of all of the rock paintings. Oh, nice. Yeah, so the bigger um, – so there's the female hill, and then there's a bigger one, and that is the male hill. And then there's a smaller one, which is known as the child. And then according to legends, the fourth hill was the male hill's first wife, whom he left for a younger woman, and now she prowls in the background. Fun, right? Wow. I know. Not expecting that. I know. <laughs> so the Bushmen believe the hills are a resting place for the spirits of the deceased and that their gods live in grottos within the female hill from where they rule the world. The most sacred place is near the top of the male hill and legend has it that the first spirit prayed after creating the world. It is also believed that these gods will cause misfortune and bad luck if anyone hunts or causes death near the hills. So it's a very sacred place. Mm -hmm. Um so Dilo Hills are one of the most historically significant rock art sites in the world. It has fi over 500 individual sites representing thousands of years of human habitation. And I just want to jump in here and say, that is insane. Yeah. To, like, just thinking of anything 20,000 years old, like, truly where life started. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> Um, looking at pictures of this rock art, it kind of struck me that different places would have different art. That sounds so stupid to say out loud. Um, welcome to the, sorry, I'm stupid podcast. <laughs> um, so there's pictures of, of the paintings and they depict zebras, giraffes, uh, rhinos, uh, and like animals that are in Africa. Right. And I was like, no, duh. <laughs> like I think about, you know, we have head smash in Buffalo Jump and we have some indigenous sites in Alberta, but, you know, it's usually um, like deers and bears right. in the paintings. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess different places would have different animals. That's just something that never really occurred to me. Um, there is also some depictions of penguins and whales in these rock paintings, uh, which lead archaeologists to think that there was contact with other groups, um, which is also kind of cool to think about. Yeah. Um, I guess I just never thought of it. Right. <laughs> that's it. Nice. Yeah. That's, that, that's Sodilo Hills. I, I had never even heard of them before this. Yeah. So um, now I know. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's awesome. That's a good one. Um, okay. My next one. It's one that we are all rather familiar with. It Ooh. is the Statue of Liberty. Ooh. I have to say, um, what I'm how I'm going to present this is about a million times more boring than it is written on the Statue of Liberty website. Like they, I said to you before, it, it kind of sounds like someone wrote it like rather boring and then did the Friends episode where <laughs> Joey goes through everything with the thesaurus and just comes up with like a, a grandiose synonym for everything because it is amazing. Right. The, the website copy artist was like, 
I love me some adjectives. Yeah, like just every sensationalist <laughs> adjective you could throw in there that they found a way to. So some of that might bleed into this one, but uh, I tried my best to, to kind of boring it up a little bit Fantastic. for everyone. Yes. So in 1865, Edward de, Edward de Laboulet proposed the idea of presenting a monumental gift from the people of France to those of the United States. A supporter of America, Laboulet, wished to commemorate the centennial of the Declaration of Independence, as well as celebrate the close relationship between France and America. He was equally moved by the recent abolition of slavery in the U.S., which furthered America's ideals of liberty and freedom. Sculptor Frederic Auguste Bartholdi. Uh, Bartholdi, I would Bartholdi? say. Okay, let's roll. It's a good thing you corrected me on that because he comes up a lot. Oh, shit, um, okay. He was I in, hope I'm not wrong. <laughs> he was in attendance for Lavalais' proclamation. Bartholdi began conceptualizing the colossal structure that would soon be known as liberty enlightening the world. Huh. Bartholdi's design encompassed much symbolism, her crown representing light with its spikes evoking sun rays extending out to the world, the tablet inscribed with July 4th, 1776, noting American independence, and to symbolize the end of slavery, Bartholdi placed a broken shackle and chains at the foot of the statue, which I did not realize. Mm. Uh, France would be responsible for creating the statue and assembling it in the United States, while the Americans would fund and build the pedestal. To raise funds in France, public fees, uh, various forms of <laughs> entertainment, and a lottery were used. In the United States, to finance the pedestal, benefit theatrical events, art exhibitions, auctions, and this was my favorite, prize fights oh. were held. Um, poet Emma Lazarus wrote her famous sonnet, The New Colossus, in 1883 for an art and literary auction. Sorry, can I jump in here? Totally. There truly is nothing like a prize fight to really embody the spirit of liberty enlightening the world. Yes. <laughs> Let's punch each other in the face. Mm -hmm. Art! Yeah. <laughs> Despite these efforts, fundraising the pedestal went very slowly. So apparently... Uh, people punching each other in the brain wasn't enough to get people no. to the call to action. To spark public action in 1885, and this was kind of a, oh, Joseph Pulitzer, a name that you will probably oh. recognize, placed an ad in the paper in the New York world inviting readers to donate to the cause. In exchange, Pulitzer printed each donor's name in the newspaper, which today sounds like a rather boring whatever. Um, in the 1800s, that's basically the most famous thing ever. Like, that's getting called out by a celebrity on Twitter. Right. Um, now, they presented this as a good thing, and this is one of those times where I need to remember the differences in finance in the 1800s. Right. Because, and, and this, I, I left this as a direct quote because I wanted to, to make sure I captured the grandeur of it while also the hilarity of what was actually accomplished. Okay. The public rose to the challenge with 120,000 people donating over $100,000 and securing the remaining funds needed for the statue's pedestal. Fuck inflation, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> Like, just, they, they build it up like, oh, this is this absolutely amazing yeah. com accomplishment. And I'm just trying to do the, the math rather quickly. They donated, like, 88 cents each? Basically, yeah. My, <laughs> my calculator has frozen. But essentially that. And, you know, like, even if it's at $1 each, you know, like, someone donated two. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it, it was just chipped away. So I, I wonder if someone just donated five cents just to get their name in the newspaper. Totally. Like, I would. 
Absolutely. So I, I thought that was hilarious. Uh, meanwhile, in France, Bartholdi required the assistance of an engineer to ind- uh, address structural issues associated with just designing a gigantic damn statue. And once again, a name that you will come to recognize. Oh. Alexander Gustav Eiffel. Sorry, just, I, I read it before you yeah, said it. <laughs> just prior to creating his famed tower ruiner of punchlines, was engaged to design the massive iron pylon and secondary skeletal framework that allows the statue's copper skin to move independently, yet stand upright. So <laughs> when you think about it, like two of the most iconic structures uh-huh. in the history of the world and old Alex here has his fingerprints on him. Yeah, like, totally. That's pretty neat. Good for good for Mr. Eiffel. Yeah. Hmm. Construction of the statue was completed in France in 1884. The massive sculpture stood tall above the rooftops of Paris awaiting her voyage across the sea. And I actually looked it up because I was like, that would look so weird to see the Statue of Liberty, that this thing that we just assigned to New York, mm-hmm. standing tall in Paris, France. And I looked it up and then remembered the line here, uh, just prior to creating his famed Eiffel Tower. I was like, oh, there's nothing distinguishable about France. It is just the Eiffel Tower standing tall in a city. Like, oh, there's, okay. there's nothing uniquely France about the, the city in 1884. So it's like, oh, well, that's a little underwhelming. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> For its transatlantic voyage, the statue was reduced to 350 individual pieces and packed in 214 crates. The ship arrived in New York Harbor on June 17, 1885. So it took about a year to sail this bad boy across. Yeah. While awaiting construction of the pedestal, which sounds like just the most, like, procrastination ever. Like, these guys built an entire statue and then broke it down into 350 pieces and packed it into 214 crepes, shipped it across the damn ocean. For and, a year. And you guys couldn't even get the pedestal done? Yeah. The pedestal was completed in April of 1886. So now two years after the initial statue was completed so, in France. So all these pieces? Assholes. Sorry, mm-hmm. all these pieces of the Statue of Liberty just hung out for like a year yes. in New York. When they, they announced like, hey, we are doing this, they actually had with, uh, it, it was President Grover Cleveland. Um, he was standing <laughs> at, at some kind of press conference thing and he had like the piece that is the the hand holding the uh, the torch behind him as his backdrop making the announcement. It actually looked kind of kind of neat. I mean, that but, is pretty cool. Yeah, but... but yeah, no, they just had this thing broken apart for... Huh. Ever. Um, so yes, pres- uh, as I said, President Grover Cleveland oversaw the dedication of the Statue of Liberty in front of thousands of spectators October 28th, 1886. So again, about two and a half years after it was completed in France, they stand this thing up in hmm. New York. In the 1980s, when a foundation was restoring the statue for its centennial celebration, a team of experts determined that the original torch couldn't be restored. Mm-hmm. They had been modifying it a ton and had radically altered Bartholdi's solid copper flame to one that was mainly of glass. Leaks from rain and corrosion from the elements had damaged the original torch above the handle beyond repair. It was removed on July 4th, 1984, which must have been just quite the 4th of July celebration. <laughs> you're going to chop the hand <laughs> yeah, off the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. It's like New um, Year's Eve. You're waiting for the ball to drop, but instead it's the 4th of July and you're just 
sawn off her hand. Right. Um, it was replaced with a replica that followed the original design. Mm-hmm. And the original torch is actually on display oh. in the Inspiration Gallery of the Statue of Liberty Museum. So that is the story of the Statue of Liberty. That's very cool. I had no idea about any of that. I knew that it was like a gift from France. Right. But I was like, for what? Who knows? How? (laughs) Who knows? Mm -hmm. Apparently the internet knows and now we do too. I just love that the Americans just couldn't be fucked to build a pedestal for two years. But now there's probably some like you you have to... You have to know how heavy the thing is. That's like I'm sure there's some yeah. engineer listening to this that that thinks we're idiots for how we're talking about this. Right. But it's like that's you, really fast. Actually, you could have at least started. Right? <laughs> like, I don't know. It just felt weird to me. Okay, let's go a little bit south. We're gonna go to Chichen Itza, okay. Mexico. So the town of Chichen Itza was established in approximately 415 to 455 CE, close to two cenotes, which are... Sorry, can you just clarify what CE stands for again? uh, Common era. So that is our current time. Yes. And then BCE is zero and back. Right. Yeah. Sorry to to interrupt. No, oh my gosh, that's okay. I actually had to Google it again because in, in here, I don't know if you can see in our notes, it says AD a couple of times. Yeah. And... The more scientifically accepted right. year for the Gregorian calendar is using CE instead of AD. Yeah. So I had to Google it because I was like, hold on a sec, <laughs> which is which. Right. I definitely <laughs> I definitely stuck with BC and AD. So I, I apologize oh, no, to it's okay. science for that. They mean the same thing. It's just yeah. different ways of getting there. Never mind. That I was going to go on a, a side road that was going to take us down a very long and winding path. So I will stop and you can continue. <laughs> uh, so... It was established near two cenotes, which are um, kind of just sinkholes that are fresh water. Okay. Um, they're, they're much more important than that, but just to give you a visual, that's what they are. Um, it gave, because it was near the cenotes, uh, that's why they named it Chichen Itza. It means at the edge of the well. The cenotes facilitated tapping uh, into underground waters in the area, and Spanish records report that uh, young female victims were thrown into these oh, alive shit. as sacrifices to the Maya rain god thought to live in its depths. Um, so, again, they were more important than just sinkholes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've very much simplified that. Um, archaeologists have found... Um, those women's bones, as well as some of the jewelry and precious objects that they wore in their final hours. Jesus. Um, I've also read that lots of sacred sites are near cenotes because one, they are great for accessing fresh water. And two, it was thought that they were portals to other worlds and to gods, which is why they were throwing women in them. Okay. So one entirely reasonable, we need fresh water. These totally. are a source of water it. Is also, life. we can throw people into them. Let's throw people in them. Yeah. Totally. Uh, I have been to, I haven't been to Chichen Itza. I was at the, the temples in Tulum mm. and there's a bunch of cenotes, uh, kind of in the Yucatan province where all of this is. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are so, so refreshing. So nice. Oh yeah. Lovely to swim in if you're not being sacrificed. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you are going into them voluntarily. Yes. I voluntarily went into the cenote. Chichen Itza was resettled with the migration of the Toltec warriors from the Mexican plateau towards the south during the 10th century, which would be the 900 CE. According to the most common version, the king of Tula, Kukulcan, Kukulcan. I don't want to mess that one up because if you look at the spelling, it's very close to a clan. Oh, yep. Yes. Yep. Okay. Uh, so the king of Tula... As the Maya trans, and then 
Kukul Khan is his Maya translated name, uh, reportedly took the city between uh, 967 and 987 uh, CE. El Castillo, or the temple of Kukulcan, is the massive pyramid-like structure that is the famous symbol for Chichen Itza. Uh, so El Castillo is just Spanish for the castle, hmm. but it's his temple. Okay. Uh, the step pyramid, so that symbol, this pyramid-like structure, uh, demonstrates the accuracy and importance of the Maya Toltec astronomy after the merger of the two cultural traditions. The temple has 365 steps, one for each day of the year. Each of the temple's four sides has nine hundred or has ninety-one steps, and the top platform, once you add all those together, makes it three hundred and sixty-five. Twice a year on the spring and autumn equinoxes, a shadow falls on the pyramid in the shape of a serpent because of other buildings near it. Mm-hmm. Um, as the sun sets, the snake descends the steps to eventually join a stone serpent head at the base of the great staircase of the pyramids up the pyramid side. Chichen Itza. Isn't that cool? That's so cool. I know. That's fucking wild. Yeah. I can't even like make a good grilled cheese sandwich and they're making a fucking shadow serpent. That sounds like something that's in a cartoon that doesn't actually happen. But they're... Totally. they're able to do that is unbelievable. A hundred percent. Chichen Itza was more than a religious and ceremonial site. It was also an urban center and hub of regional trade. But after centuries of prosperity and absorbing influxes of other cultures like the Toltecs, um, in the 1400s, people abandoned Chichen Itza. They left behind amazing works of architecture and art. The city's inhabitants left no known record of why they abandoned their homes. Hmm. Scientists, I know, scientists speculate that droughts, overused soils, and royal work, and royal quests for conquest uh, and treasure may have contributed to Chichen Itza's downfall. The ruins were not excavated until 1841 CE, so it stood for about 450 years just baking in the sun a fun little fact is that there is a ball court at Chichen Itza not basketball (laughs) Um, think more uh, like that game they play in the road to El Dorado oh okay and then they like use the armadillo to cheat yes anyways they use a 12 pound rubber ball and you have to use your body to put the ball through the sideways hoop that's up on a wall Um, and some way somehow they have found that Indeed, losers of this game were put to death. Jeez. Very serious game. Yeah. Um, And my favorite one-star review for this place uh, is Disneyland for Pigeons. Oh, okay. It has 4.8 out of 5 on Google reviews, though, so very good reviews. Hmm. That person was just a hater. I'm sure um, less positive reviews for some of the women from earlier. Yeah, if if they could leave reviews, I bet that they would say uh, zero out of ten. Do not recommend. Right, Um, (laughs) but that's awesome. I yeah, I didn't know any of that, so that's really cool. And I actually we talked about this before we recorded today. I was hoping you would do that because if you didn't, I was going to do them. So I'm I'm happy happy you you did that one. And again, not to to bring my stuff back into it. Yeah, but like the the people who have constructed this whole area have set it up so that like each step represents a different day yeah and that they have surrounding buildings so that a scorpion like scuttles a, down a serpent a serpent sorry yeah, yeah. slithers down every equinox to, to yeah. go down to a thing and it took the people in new york two goddamn <laughs> years to build a pedestal <laughs> come on 
I mean, maybe if they had just sacrificed some women to right. some rain gods, it would have exactly. freaking happened faster. Let's get a move on, New York. I mean, clearly they didn't sacrifice enough if they had to leave because of droughts. Like, come on. Oh my gosh. Something maybe happened to them. Don't speak ill of the dead. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but no, that, that is a really, really good one. That, that's, yeah, I like that one a lot. Thank uh, you. All right, my last one. The Great Wall of China. Mm -hmm. We know it as a Great Wall located in China, but how did it come to be? Yes. Uh, the beginning of the Great Wall of China can be traced back to 5th century BC. Many of the fortifications included in the wall date from hundreds of years even earlier than that, when China was divided into a number of individual kingdoms during the Warring States period. Hmm. Around 220 BC, Qin Shi Huang, the first emperor of a unified China under the Qin Dynasty, ordered the earlier fortifications between states be removed and a number of existing walls along the northern border be joined into a single system that would extend more than 10,000 li, where a li is about one-third of a mile, okay. and protect China against attacks from the north. The famous Chinese general Meng Tian initially directed the project and was said to use a massive army of soldiers, convicts, and commoners as workers. It is said that as many as 400,000 people died during the wall's construction. Many of these workers were buried within the wall itself. Yeah. Oh, I've actually heard of that. Mm -hmm. Very, very crazy. Made mostly of earth and stone and apparently dead people. The wall stretched <laughs> 3,000 miles. In some strategic areas, sections of the wall overlapped for maximum security uh, just north of Beijing. And that area later restore, uh, restored during the Ming Dynasty. From a base of 15 to 50 feet, the Great Wall rose 15 to 30 feet higher and was topped with ramparts 12 or 12 feet or higher, guard towers were distributed at interval, uh, intervals along it. With the death of Qin Shi Huang and the fall of the Qin Dynasty, much of the Great Wall fell into disrepair. After the fall of the later Han Dynasty, a series of frontier tribes seized control in northern China. The most powerful of those would be the Northern Wei Dynasty, which repaired and extended the existing wall to defend against attacks from other tribes. And this starts just a gigantic bastardization of the use of a wall because for something that is used as a, a fortifier to keep people out, it appears to have not because people were just going willy-nilly on either side of this. Oh my thing. gosh. The Beiki Kingdom from five... Uh, 550 to 577, built and repaired more than 900 miles of wall, and the short-lived Su Dynasty from 581 to 618 repaired and extended the Great Wall of China a number of times. With the fall of the Su and the rise of the Tang Dynasty, the Great Wall lost its importance as a fortification as China had defeated the Tuju tribes to the north and expanded past the original frontier protected by the wall. Which again, eliminates the point of the wall. All right, we're going to protect people, but also we're going to expand way past the wall. Mm -hmm. So this thing isn't really doing a whole lot. During the Song Dynasty, the Chinese were forced to withdraw under the threat of the Lao and Jin peoples to the north and took over many areas on both sides of the Great Wall. So again, we're just hopping back and forth. It's This is just like kind of a, an obstacle at this mm -hmm. point. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> um, the Mongol Dynasty, established by Genghis Khan, eventually controlled all of China, parts of Asia, and sections of Europe. Um, so again, the wall. 
Yeah. N- no effect. The, the Mongols were able to just like whoop, right through. Yeah. Um, the wall of China that we know as it exists, uh, ex- exists today was constructed mainly during the Ming dynasty from 1368 to 1644. So the Mongols didn't really see a whole lot of use for this thing. And then once the the Ming dynasty was able to get control back, they didn't really either for a little bit of it. But under the Ming rulers, Chinese culture flourished and the period saw an immense amount of construction in addition to the Great Wall, including bridges, temples, and pagodas. The construction of the Great Wall as it's known today began in 1474. After initial phase of territorial expansion, Ming rulers took a largely defensive stance and their reformation and extension of the Great Wall was key to the strategy, mm. which finally... Someone's using this the way it's supposed to be used. Right. And that makes sense, too, where you're saying, like, in the beginning of the Ming Dynasty, they were like, yeah, we don't really need it. Like, let's build our infrastructure more. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, now that we're taking a defensive approach, like, some guy in the military was, like, promoted. And he was like, we need defense. We have a lot of offense. We need defense. And they were like, what about this wall? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. In the mid-17th century, the Manchus from central and uh, southern Manchuria broke through the Great Wall and encroached on Beijing, eventually forcing the fall of the Ming Dynasty and the beginning of the Qing Dynasty. Between the 18th and 20th centuries, the Great Wall emerged as the most common emblem of China for the Western world and a symbol both physical as a manifestation of Chinese strength and psychological representation of the barrier maintained by the Chinese state to repel foreign influences and exert its control over its citizens. Hmm. Which, when I read that, was kind of a, oh. Yeah. That's a bit of a bummer when you think about it. Yeah. Today, the Great Wall is generally recognized as one of the most impressive architectural feats in human history. In uh, 1987, UNESCO designated the Great Wall a World Heritage Site, and a popular claim that emerged in the 20th century holds that it is the only man-made structure that is visible from space. Is it? I believe so. That 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 is what I've heard my entire life, and nothing that I read um, countered that, but I've never been there, so I don't know. Whoa. To either space to or space? China. <laughs> uh, over the it's years, the Great Wall of China in space. <laughs> Over the years, roadways have been cut through the wall in various points, and many sections uh, have deteriorated after centuries of neglect. The best-known section of the Great Wall of China, Battling, located 70 kilometers northwest of Beijing, was rebuilt in the late 1950s and attracts thousands of national and foreign tourists every day. So, I, I had kind of like assumed there was some form of military aspect of this yeah and i mean like we, we've talked about things regarding walls the last couple of weeks obviously stonewall yeah. not so much a, a wall is a name just a name, but yeah. the the berlin wall like people got over it but not entire invading countries like at some point yeah. it was like what what did this thing like if, if all those people are coming in and then you're expanding your territory further away from it what was the point of it yeah what was this wall doing yeah like huh. 400,000 people died building this thing that apparently didn't even slow anyone down. Wow. But it still looks really, really cool. So. Yeah. That yeah. is super cool. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. I, I don't. I I think that maybe the only thing I knew about the Great Wall of China is one, that it's a wall in China. Yeah. And two, that people died building it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Which, I mean, <laughs> could be with anything. But. Right. Huh. Okay. Well, um. Hey, why don't we go a little bit south again? Okay. We're going to go to the Philippines. All right. (laughs) 
We are going to talk about the Chocolate Hills in Bahol, which is a island in the Visayas region. Uh, okay, this one is cool to talk about because I've actually been lucky enough to see them. I did a quick Google view and like walked up the road to the viewpoint of the Chocolate Hills. And I was like, oh man, what fond memories. Just ripping around on a scooter with my new friend from Finland named Aura. I miss traveling. Is great, that why we did this episode? Great pronunciation. Yes, to remind you of the whole. <laughs> no. uh, great pronunciation of the Finnish name, by the way. Thank you. I, it took me like a week. <laughs> it was really difficult. Actually, as a quick side note, uh, okay. we stopped at like a cafe on the way to the Chocolate Hills. And there was this like, it was a map that had like literally three points on it. And then like a badly drawn squiggle as a road. And there was a spot called the Super Nice Waterfalls. Mm. And so we were like, let's go find them. And we were taking Don't on I mean, these... with a name like that, you have to. Uh, well, you have to. And so we get there. And sure enough, there's like, you sign in and you had to pay like five peso um, to to go and swim around in them. Um, but they were literally called Super Nice Waterfalls. Nice. That was their name. <laughs> so yeah, very fun. And I do miss traveling. Yeah. Anyways. Well, we're close. Yeah. Uh, So the Chocolate Hills is one of the Philippines' most popular tourist attractions, and it got its name from its strange yet unique formation and rich vegetation that turns into chocolate brown, or that turns into a chocolate brown color during the dry months from January to April. Uh, There is is over 2,000 of these hills. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's quite a few. And they like, they look pretty uniform if you look, if you look at a picture or if you're there, Mm -hmm. Um, but they are varying shapes and sizes. Well, I guess they're all hill-shaped, but some are pointy, some are round, you know. Hill-shaped. Hill-shaped. They're all hills. (laughs) The Chocolate Hills was declared the Philippines' third national geological monument and is dubbed as an eighth wonder of the world. The hills are even featured on the 200 Philippine peso bill. This this tourist spot is the one that put Bohol on the map. And it has baffled many geologists. It's common for Filipinos to talk about myths and legends surrounding uh, this this particular place um, because its origin is unknown. And there's not really, like, there's some explanations behind it. Um, Some of the, so there's a couple stories. And some of them were told to satisfy the curiosity of children, um, but others claim that there is some half-truth in the stories. So according to the legends, the hills came into existence because of two feuding giants who hurled rocks, boulders, and sand at each other. Nice. After the fight was over, this eventually led to a huge mess of hills, which is the chocolate hills we know today. Another legend claims that what really transpired was a a heartbroken giant cried a lot of tears, which led to the formation of these limestone hills. And the third legend, definitely the one that was told to kids, is that the hills are dried feces of carabaos, which are like water buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> they just took a bunch of craps everywhere. Right. And then you have the chocolate hills. That's amazing. Yeah. So setting aside the three legends, uh, the widely accepted geological theory behind the hills is that they are a result of weathering of marine limestone. The dissolution of limestone thousands of years ago was affected by several factors like rainfall and erosion. Uh, According to a plaque displayed at at the viewing deck in the town of Carmen, which is the closest town, these geological formations were the result of the erosion on the limestone after they were uplifted above sea level and fractured due to tectonic processes. 
Well, that's not nearly as fr- fun as buffalo's pooping. So yeah, as water buffalo shit. Yeah. Yeah, but it is very cool. Yeah, and that's awesome. Yeah, it's 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 wild how many there are of them. Like when I was looking it up, and when I went there, I was like, yeah, there's gonna be like a dozen of them. Right. And then it just goes on as far as you can see. That's cool. Yeah. So. Um, I don't know if you'll be able to, to answer this, so sure, I apologize. Sure, I'll do my best. What do they look like in the non-dry times? Uh, they're green. Oh, okay. They're, yeah. So they're just like green hills. That... Yeah, yeah. Okay. Green rolling hills, and then in the dry season, their grass uh, turns more of a dark brown than like when, you know, when our grass dries, it turns like yellowy. Oh, okay. But theirs turns into a dark brown. Because it's like a different type of vegetation, I guess. Buffalo poop brown. Yeah, chocolate hill. I I cannot tell you the amount of uh, poop jokes that go on at the. Oh yeah. Uh, I can imagine. Hills. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, very very cool place, and uh, yeah, kind of odd how it was formed, or yeah. that we don't know how it was formed mm-hmm. really. That is weird. Yeah. And that that's kind of a theme with a few of these that that we've yeah, kind of gone through Island. today, where it's like we like. We maybe have somewhat of an idea, but even now, what we don't know, and it just shows how important telling these stories generation after... I mean, now, I don't want to say it's less important, but we have the internet. But, like, back in the day, the only way that some of these things lived on was just through stories. And even if it's just feuding giants hurling boulders or Mm -hmm. whatever it is, at least there's something that you can kind of wrap your head around with it. Um, but it just kind of shows like how important the, the storytellers were back in the day. For sure. I think about the Sodilo and the, mm-hmm. the rock paintings and, yeah. and going through that, I was like, this truly is one of the only like proofs we have that like human life was created on the continent of Africa. Like yeah. you hear it all the time. It's the cradle of life. It's the, the beginning of existence. But then you see these things that could date back as far as 20,000 years and you're like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> It could be. <laughs> yeah. No, that's crazy. This was a lot of fun. I, I really mm-hmm. enjoyed going through uh, a lot of these today. One thing that uh, I noticed, because I wanted to, I didn't want to just focus on the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to do something Canadian, and there just wasn't a whole lot. <laughs> you yeah. know, like we we have the the natural wonder that is the uh, Niagara Falls and oh. the the Rocky Mountains. I thought you were going to say the uh, the. Moose in Moose Jaw. But... Yes. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah. No, Niagara Falls, naturally, the, of course. The, the giant pierogi in Glendon, Alberta. <laughs> um, like, we we have, well, obviously, one of those things, not like the other. Like, the CN Tower is neat, mm-hmm. but, like, we, we don't really have a whole lot of, like, oh, yeah, can't, like, we have awesome places here, but mm-hmm. we don't have, like, big things. Yeah, there is, like, I think I mentioned um, Head Smash and Buffalo Jump. That yep. was one of the UNESCO World Heritage Sites we have. Um, and there's a couple more, obviously, of, like indigenous histories of the past but um yeah like as far as yeah we don't have like a giant we don't have a statue of liberty we don't have an eiffel tower mm-hmm. yeah kind of weird we should get something it was it, I, I looked at a, a like um man-made landmarks like the the top whatever it was and there was a map and you could click through like different places like it yeah. was like a tourist thing and canada just had nothing like oh, the, there was, there were bummer. zero little flags on Canada <laughs> and then the rest of all scattered through ever. Yeah. I guess like, well, when I'm thinking about it, like I think like Church Hill, Manitoba mm-hmm. and like Hudson's Bay area, that's a, that's a heritage site, I think. But yeah. Yeah. Like we have we, we, sites, we don't have, we don't have right. Like, the man-made things. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Which I mean, like 
you could get into, is it better to just like understand the history of areas and stuff like that? Or right. is it better to just build big shit? But um, <laughs> yeah, I thought um, I, I thought that was kind of interesting when, when you think of like, okay, what are big landmarks in Canada? It's mm-hmm. like, well, like we got a, a couple of towers in yeah. places and yeah. Yeah. They have a ball diamond that had the roof closed before other places had roof closey ball diamonds. <laughs> I just keep thinking of, I'm like, I, I can't even think of ma- any really man-made ones. Like, I thought about the, there's that giant glacier rock uh, in Okotoks. Oh, yeah. We have mountains. Yep. Those are pretty, those are pretty wondrous. Yes. Yeah, we, we have a lot of natural beauty here. Yeah. But just the the whole human element thing. Totally. Yeah. Well, so get on that, Canada. Yeah, this is my petition. This podcast is my petition. <laughs> right. If you send me... Even five cents, I will put your name in a newspaper. <laughs> and hopefully we can raise $100,000 to, I don't know, have a nice dinner all together. Yeah, to, <laughs> to take two years building a pedestal. Yeah, and that's it though. Yeah. Uh, all right, I think that's going to do it. <laughs> I think so too. Uh, thank you for listening. We hope that you learned as much as we did. Mm-hmm. And rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Again, call your mom. That's just right. like something nice to do, I think. Yeah. But she's, if you happen to mention us. if you have to mention it or happen to mention it during a conversation yeah. with your mom, like Hey mom, do you like someone saying fuck too many times? <laughs> That's me. I'm your girl. <laughs> <laughs> um so yes, as she said, rate review, subscribe. Uh, email the show at we had no idea podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at we had no idea podcast. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye.